0: to the Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand, here as always with my co-host, Jonathan Peel.
1: In this introductory statement, the speaker is positive and conveys important information.
0: However, I have several
1: concerns that preclude my enthusiastic support of this statement.
0: That's right, gang. Today, we're talking about peer review. But before we get to that, we have a little bit of uh, follow-up from our last couple of conversations. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I w- just so you know, I w- in my mind, I was trying to—I was working on my reviewer two voice, uh, <laughs> and then I decided to just go normal. Uh,
2: thoughtful. Measured. Yeah, yes, yeah, <laughs> more
1: thoughtful than 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 annoying, hopefully. <laughs> um, so, one one piece of uh, follow-up is, as people may remember from last time, uh, I received an inquiry about my research from a journal of neuroimmunology, which I thought was odd, given that I don't do any research in neuroimmunology, uh, and I responded uh, and, and asked them what, what questions they had. It turns out, shockingly, uh, the questions they had were, would you like to submit a, a paper to our journal? Yeah. Um And to which I said, I love writing uh, papers, but I'm trying to figure out the the area of my expertise that would best fit neuroimmunology. Do you have any suggestions? And they said, we have 300 very good journals and, and just send us something and we'll make sure that we publish it so
0: and let me guess for just a small fee
1: yeah and so i i'm I'm almost tempted to carry this on a little bit but i'm not going to because it it wastes not only their time but it wastes my time and
0: more importantly yeah and i'm
1: not i'm not clever enough to make it to make it funny so uh anyway i think we'll just leave it there
0: uh and we also had some slack follow-up right Mm
1: -hmm. uh yeah so two bits. so what one uh one listener uh to our podcast Hi Bob, uh, emailed to say that in his class, um, a- having started using Slack for the first time, uh, after students did their little introductions uh, on Slack, they started sort of like talking to each other about shared interests and um, you know things outside of class, which I think is great. Uh, and especially where a lot of a lot of us and a lot of students don't have. Um, as much chance for face-to-face interaction. Um, I think that that's a really like great side benefit. They can they can make friends and have have more social interaction. So I thought that was yeah. really cool. Uh, and uh, I have not at, when we're recording this, I have not started teaching it, but I will soon. I started my Slack workspace for class ahead of time, and people are already introducing themselves, and okay. it's been great for me uh, to see. Hopefully, they appreciate it too. But anyway, I I've really been appreciating. Um, getting to know them a little bit before class. So, so, so far, all positive.
0: Have you uh, done the Jiffy integration so you can post ridiculous GIFs in your Slack channel? Of course. Good.
1: <laughs> uh, also, Julia, good. also, Julia, it's a, it's a GIF.
0: Well, we're going to just uh, really disagree
1: there. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and this is the last episode we ever record together.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we had a good run. I'm just kidding.
1: Done. Yeah, exactly. That was it. Uh, yeah, good. So, reviewing. So it's peer review day. Yeah.
0: Um, So, uh...
1: (laughs) (laughs) well, so I think there's a, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of areas of this to talk about. And I think you and I both have a lot to say. uh, And we also got a lot of um, um, listener questions about this that we want to try to, to get to most of, and and we might return to some in a future episode, but, but just to start off, I would say a, a good question is why do we review papers?
0: Yeah, so there's 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 a few different reasons. One is that it is it's it's part of our job, right? It's not like written into the, the the contract that my employer has for me. But if I'm going to be publishing papers and taking part in the peer review system, um, it it seems only reasonable and fair that I also kind of pay into the peer review system. Um, And there's a lot to be said about the problems with peer review as it's currently done, and even more so about scientific publishing as it's generally done. But at least as things stand right now, um, if I want to publish papers and have other people spend their time peer reviewing them, I should do the same. So that's, that's one. Um, another one is that it's, it's fun to see what people are working on early, right? Like it gives you kind of a, a, a start, early access, although preprints can also do this, but you know, it gives you early access to interesting work that's going on. Um, also I feel like, yeah, I have some good insights and I could maybe try to help people make their papers a little better before they make it into the published literature. Mm -hmm. So there's like reciprocity. It's part of the job. Um, there's what was the second thing that I said? Oh, they're seeing stuff early, and mm-hmm. there's also um you know trying to help improve science by uh you know by giving suggestions before things are written in stone mm
1: mm-hmm. I mean, I think a lot of those okay, so I have a couple other ones to add to your list. uh some of this is probably changing and maybe changing slowly, but but you know before um before Twitter. And before preprints, right, like the way that you would know what another lab was doing if you weren't buddies would be to see it at a conference or to review their paper. And those are really the main ways to do it. So I think that reason, um, I think it's still it's still a good reason. But I think now we have more ways of seeing, you know, science early than we used to. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say for myself and, and maybe all of our listeners are, are better about this. I don't read. I read papers more carefully when I'm a uh, official reviewer and I'm going to write right. a written review than when I'm um, uh, skimming them for my interest or they, I see it pop up on Twitter, right? So if I see someone tweet an interesting figure and in a headline, I may or may not go and the, read the third page of the supplemental material. But if I'm a reviewer, I, I will, or I hope I will. Um, so, so a lot of times I will take on. Um, Papers that I have already even heard about the work potentially, but because I know that I should read this paper and I should know it better, and sure. and for myself, I'm just not going to get into it thoroughly if if I don't if I don't have to basically. So mm-hmm. kind of it kind of tricks myself into until learning something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That's a good point. Um, yeah. Um, I think other reasons that I have uh, uh, one is uh, to support a colleague, um, and what do I mean by that? Well. Uh, as I've gotten more advanced in, in the career, uh, I know people who are editors. So let, let's pretend that um, Julia is the editor of a journal. And I, I'm very, very. It's
0: called very, science.
1: <laughs> it's called science. Uh, uh, P-S-Y-E-N-C. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
0: What? Okay, quick, quick, we
1: got to. Uh, I copyright that, um, and, and so I'm very busy, and I've told myself, "Oh, I, I don't have time to do any any other additional work." But but Julia then emails me and says, "Oh, I'm having trouble finding reviewers for this paper, and, and it's exactly what you do. Um, mm-hmm. Can you help me out?" Uh, and, and so I might do it to to help Julia out as a friend, not out of you know service to the field or any other reason. I'm just like, I know she needs reviewers, and I want to help her out. Mm-hmm. As an editor, I have called in those favors and I try not to do it very often. But when there's a paper that I'm really struggling to find reviewers for, which unfortunately happens, uh, I, w- I will start contacting people that I know and just saying, you know, being honest and saying, look, I tried a whole bunch of people and no one can do it. Could you please, you know, help me out and, and review this? And uh, and many times people will do it. And if they don't, it's fine. I don't hold it against them. But anyway, it, it, it's... Uh, Anyway, I think that's a valid reason for doing it. Uh, although you don't want to be too pressured to do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, another one, and you kind of you kind of got uh, addressed this a little bit, Julia. So you you kind of framed it as you uh, think you have some good insights that can help the paper be better, uh, which I'm sure that you do. But there's also like the the chance to influence science in our field. Um, so, for example, I'll, I'll just just to pick one example, uh, Julia, you and I both think that um, there's a lot of kind of open science practices that are beneficial, like sharing data in code. Yeah. And not all reviewers think that or not all reviewers will mention that. So I know that if I agree to review a paper, it's an opportunity for me to um, promote that agenda, let's say, uh, whereas if, if someone else takes that on that review, they, they may not. Um, and there are lots of other examples where you might think that the field would be better off, you know, moving in a certain direction or talking about a construct in a certain way or, or whatever. Uh, and so if you're a reviewer, you may have the chance to influence what gets published and that may help the field. If mm-hmm. your ideas are right, if your ideas are wrong, uh, well, then of course you're just going to hurt the field. But I'm sure all of our listeners have, have really good ideas. Um, and, I mean, and, and again, that's the reason that has probably become more salient for me as i've progressed in my career the first paper i ever reviewed uh, i don't think i i had a big agenda for for influencing the field but but you know the older i get the more that seems important
0: Mm -hmm. i also this is a a good time to make a, a plug for people who are um who are interested in open science practices and would like to encourage the authors of the papers that they're reviewing to um you know, to, to adopt some of those open science practices. Um, It's very easy. uh, There are, there are two really easy ways that you can ask authors to ensure that they are being fully transparent without knowing terribly much about the process. So um, uh, there is uh, one of these things is called the, the 21 word solution, which is just asking authors to include the sentence. We report how we determined our sample size, all data exclusions, if any, all manipulations and all measures in the study. And of course, if that is not true, then uh, they need to amend it as needed. Um, But so I always include either that or the Open Science Framework also has some like boilerplate language that's somewhat that's pretty similar. Um, And that's a really nice and very easy thing to ask authors to include. Because then if they say, oh, well, I mean, we did run another condition, we just aren't reporting it here that is at least explicit. Uh, that's at least explicit. So we'll include links to those if you're interested in asking authors to, uh, to include those.
1: And, and the links will be in our show notes, which are where, Julia?
0: Juiceandsqueeze.net slash 29? 29.
1: 29.
0: Yep. Um, so, so people also, you know, in, in talking about reviewing, people also sometimes distinguish between... Um, uh, being like a gatekeeper, you know, that like, is the role of a reviewer to keep bad stuff out of the literature or is it, um, you know, to help improve the products that you are given before they, before they make it, uh, into the published literature. And one of our questions from Twitter was under what circumstances do you as a reviewer recommend rejection? And so this is kind of like, you know, how much, how much gatekeeping is there? hmm um, and, and for me, I generally see, I, I generally see my reviews as like gatekeeping to a point, um, specifically as it relates to methods. So when I, when I'm reviewing a paper, the thing that I am the most focused on is, is the methods, because if the study was poorly conducted, um, I don't care what analyses they ran and I don't care what anal- what the analyses showed. And I don't care what conclusions the authors try to draw from those analyses, because if you have poor study design, or the study is so um, uh, the the analyses that they're planning to run are so underpowered that it doesn't matter what they find, because they didn't have enough participants or observations, you know, in order for those to be meaningful. Um, those are the times in which I am inclined to try to gatekeep and say, you know what, I you have a beautifully written introduction, and if I believed in what your data showed, the conclusions would follow from those. Um, but if the methods, if if quality methods aren't there, That's the point at which I'll say, you know, I will, I will recommend rejection. Mm -hmm. Um, but if the study is like reasonably done, um, and I and I think the methods are sound, then then I don't I don't particularly care if the study is incredibly novel or if it makes huge leaps and is a paradigm shifting paper. Um, you know, if the science is solid and the recommendation or the, the conclusions that they draw from it are, you know, metered and reasonable. Um, Then I think my job is just to try and massage and help make it better, draw their attention to literature they may not have thought of, alternate explanations, check how they did their analyses, those kinds of things.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So just, uh, you know, I I agree with everything you said, Uh, a slightly different, anyway, an emphasis that I often think of too is, um, you know, have they explained everything? Uh, and and, mm-hmm. and sort of so yes, I mean was the method appropriate for what they wanted to do, I think, is super important. But also if I wanted to go replicate this study, have they included enough details yeah. that I could do that? And so if they say, Oh, we we did such and such analysis using custom code, that's mm-hmm. a common one that I see for like neuroscience things, that we have we had, you know, in-house just, MATLAB scripts. Just and trust I'm,
0: us, it's magic. I'm waving right. my hands. Believe right. So
1: me. right. So as much as I sort of have general language that encourages code and data sharing. Um, I usually call those things out specifically and just, you know, say, please make these available or whatever. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, uh, the other thing, and and sometimes I don't, um, yeah, sometimes if, if there's an aspect of something I don't fully understand, then I at least think, well, if they explain it well enough, all the details are in there, then the published record will be, will be complete and other people can then evaluate it. Right. And so at least, you know, they've included it. Um, The other thing that does get tricky, um, and this, I I think we're, we're, I think we will try to not get into a whole discussion of scientific publishing and, and, and all the problems associated with it. But, but one of them is sort of like, um, journal prestige and impact factor. And so Mm -hmm. I'll pick on, I'll pick on nature, um, as a well-known science journal. Uh, I could pick, um, uh, any one of my papers from the last five years. And let's just pretend for the sake of argument, Julia, that you would have signed off on the methods as being fine. Mm-hmm. Um and, and let's pretend I, I shared all the data and, and I didn't blow the conclusions out of the water and, and all that. But if I sent it to nature, uh, it probably would not get published. And that's because um, different journals have different ways of phrasing it, but there's, you know, some threshold of um, broad interest or, or flashiness or whatever, and you can kind of phrase that in a positive or a negative, a negative light. Um, how much impact something might have on the field, mm-hmm. uh, and depending on the day, some days I think this is horrible and I get really grumpy about it, and other days I think, well, you know what, I don't think all of my papers, you know, um, are actually uh, world changing, and they don't, I don't need to spotlight them, right? You know, mm-hmm. so I, I can kind of see it from both sides. The mm-hmm. point of this is um, that reviewers often also weigh in on. Uh, that aspect of something. so yeah. there are journals who don't care about that. And so for those journals, it doesn't matter what you say on that respect, but there are other journals who um again, you know, fra- phrase it as in- impactfulness or broad interest or or importance or something. and so so for those journals, uh, it's not just nature. there are lots of journals that that kind of triage or reject papers for not meeting some threshold of uh, impact or interest. Uh, and so they're, a reviewer might say, everything is methodologically sound, but I just don't think this is going to appeal broadly enough for for such and such a journal. Um, and that, of course, gets tricky because there are all sorts of, you know, conscious and unconscious biases that can go into these kind of amorphous subjective judgments.
0: But is that like, is that, do you think that's the role of the reviewer to make that decision? Or is that? more the editor's choice.
1: Well, I think it's ultimately up to the editor to to, to decide. So, uh, okay. So also in terms of accepting or rejecting a paper for any reason, I mean, I think everyone views this a little bit differently, but I, you know, the way that I view it is the reviewers uh, uh, provide a, a thoughtful and thorough critique, which they send to the editor who looks at all of the different reviews, weighs them together against what the journal cares about, uh, and then makes a decision. Yep. So, so really, the editor should be part of the process, but should not be a hundred percent driven by the reviews. Mm-hmm. In real life, my so uh, at many journals, editors tend to view reviews as votes. And so, if you get mm-hmm. three reviews and two people say it's fine, and one person says I don't like it, uh, you might get rejected because not everyone liked it. And and I, I'm not saying this is a good approach to review, but that's been my experience both seeing this in editors and as an author um i've found again in in my limited experience uh at at fancier journals again i know i hate i hate saying it that way but um uh at at journals that are perceived as being more prestigious uh, i've actually found the review process to be internally more thoughtful and editors to be more engaged Mm -hmm. so so um Well, at eLife and Current Biology and um, Nature, um, which I don't review for very much, but when I have, um, and Journal of Neuroscience, I would say all of those journals, which tend to be slightly more um, prestigious or whatever the word you want to use is, um, I found there to be a little bit more discussion-oriented review process, and I found the editors to be more engaged. And at other journals, which I won't name, um, uh, I found it to just be like everyone sends in their review and the editor just, you know you know, kind of signs off on it and presses the button to accept or reject, but doesn't get as involved in it. Um mm-hmm. And I know, I mean, this really varies hugely by field and by topic. And there are a lot of like society journals, I know, where the editors are like super, super involved in every decision, which I really respect. Um, But those are, I just haven't, I haven't been involved in as many of those.
0: Sure. Yep. Um. While you were talking, I thought of one other reason mm-hmm. that one other thing that really motivates me to review. So you had talked about um being uh, um, being willing to accept review requests if what if the editor is somebody that you know and you're trying to help them out. Um I am also more motivated to accept review requests if they are from journals whose values I really agree with. Mm-hmm. Um so for instance, there's a new journal called uh that that is by the organization um AppCAM, Auditory Perception, Cognition, and Action Meeting. Um, and the new journal is Auditory Perception and Cognition. And, um, it's an organization that I'm a member of, and I have helped to organize some of the conferences and they have, a, the journal is brand new. And so every time I get a review request from them, I'm like, yep, I like, I like, I want to have an auditory perception and cognition journal. So yes, I'll review for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one is, uh, Calabra psychology, which is the official journal for the society for the improvement of psychological science, um, and is focused on methodological rigor over scientific flashiness and, and novelty. Um, and I really like and admire their model and their mission and so every time i get a review request from them if it is at all possible i'm happy to do it
1: so uh i that's a great reason to do it can i tell you a a secret i've never gotten a review invitation from either of those journals Ah.
2: if i did
1: i would really try very hard to accept it because for the reasons that you say but, but i'm i'm not on their list um,
0: so this kind of segues into a nice point and something that I think, uh, often early career researchers are interested in, which is like, I've published a couple of papers. I know some stuff, but nobody's ever asked me to peer review. Mm-hmm. So what advice do we have for them?
1: Okay. Well, okay. I, had, I have another big topic that I think is really important about why we review papers, Oh, okay, okay which l- let me say that. And then I think we should definitely get to your. Your question um the other reason that i well okay two other reasons uh one reason is that um when you are a reviewer i think uh, and see things from that perspective it can really help you as an author uh, and so you just get getting an intuition for what kinds of things are important to reviewers uh, what you know when you sit on the other side of the table or whatever the metaphor is you sort of get a sense of what things to look for and i think it can be really really helpful um not only to you know to do the reviewing and to have to construct a review, um, but then, you know, when you're reading reviews, it just helps you to see it from the other perspective. So I I think Mm -hmm. it's really valuable, especially early on, um, you know, when you haven't done this a lot, I think that's a that's is a big benefit. Um the the other the the thing that I I kinda want to mention is a lot of people review because they think it helps their careers. Um, And they think uh, and I think the, the, the logic is, um, well, there's, there, I think there's two parts to the logic. One is, um, usually in academic careers, we talk about research and teaching and service and, and reviewing papers as service. So it kind of counts for my, you know, service points. Um, and the other one is that, uh, well, if, if I do a really good job reviewing the paper, the editor, who is presumably someone well known in the field, Uh, will, will remember that I did a good job. And so I do a really good job for Julia. And then three years from now, I need a letter of recommendation. Uh, Julia will say, aha, Mm, Peel, Peel did a really good review and he's very thoughtful. And and so it will open doors for you, um, you know, in in the field. Uh, and, and so I would just, I would be wary about this career advancement part. So, uh, now some people swear by it and say, and, and say, oh, in, in my, in my experience, X, Y, and Z happened because I did a good job reviewing, uh, and that's great. So it does it does happen uh, according to according to Twitter, um, but in my life, I've really I have not seen that. I think at all. Um, anyway, I, I can't think of a time it helped my career. I mean, basically, when people are reviewing you for promotion and tenure, most at most institutions, uh, they do not. Care that much about your peer reviewing? Uh, if you've done zero, they might care. But if you review two papers a year, or four papers a year, or twenty papers a year, I think it kind of is like you're doing some check.
2: Yeah, right. Um,
1: and and the problem I mean, as an editor uh, now that I've been doing for a couple of years. Uh, I, you know, honestly, I've been very fortunate. I've gotten very few horrible reviews. I can't even think of one that I was just like, "Oh, this is beyond the pale." Um, and most of them are fine, and some are better than others. But I don't really remember if, if I've never met you before, uh, uh, and I don't really, we don't have any connection, and you provide a very reasonable review for a paper. Um, I have to say, I'm probably not going to remember a year later that you did that. And so mm-hmm. I appreciate it. And I think there are other reasons to do it, but I don't think it's going to help you. Um, anyway, gain any points with me. <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. I don't matter. Maybe other, other editors maybe have much better memories, but um, mm-hmm. so my worry is uh, I did, I did a, um, a couple years ago, probably four years ago. Now I did like a Twitter poll about sort of how many, how many papers are you reviewing? Um, uh, and so uh, for PIs, I, uh, about half performed six or fewer reviews in a year, uh, and then some performed more than that. 10%, 11% performed 24 or more in a year. Um, Postdocs, most performed six or fewer, um, but some are performing 15, 20, 24 or more, whatever. Um, And to me, that seems like way too many. So if you're doing 24 reviews a year, that's two a month, uh, and let's just say it takes you two hours to review a paper. It probably takes you more. <laughs> Wait, I know. What? I, I'm, I'm just saying <laughs> okay. that's, well, well how, you know, so it, 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 it takes you 10 hours to review a paper, right? Okay, yep, that's, okay. So that's 20 hours a month, right? That you're doing reviewing, which doesn't actually help your career. Um, uh, you know, instead of other stuff that would. And so, mm-hmm. and so, and, and, um, there's some data, which I, I feel like this is a known thing, but I can't find the citation for it, um, uh, that, that, you know, for example, women tend to go into more service roles and tend to do more service type things, including reviewing than men. So okay. so what you get is a situation where lots of early career researchers potentially um, biased towards women and perhaps other, other other folks who tend to do more service stuff are spending way too much time doing something that doesn't advance their career when they think it does. Mm-hmm. So if you know it doesn't advance your career and you love reviewing and you want to do it, like, by all means, do it. But I mm-hmm. just don't fool yourself and think that this is, like, really going to help. I mean, even if you love it and you're really, really good at it, I mean, it's good for the universe, but but you're giving up you – know, there's an opportunity cost where you're giving up something to do it. And mm-hmm. that might be sleep or exercise or working on your research or publishing a paper. Um, and sometimes those things might actually be more valuable. Um, yeah. So my – I have, a, I have a blog post that I wrote um, before we had children and before I was doing a lot of editing about this, uh, which I'll link to. Um, so I tend to suggest, uh, it, you know, if you're one of these people who reviews a lot, you should review less. Um, if you're not reviewing at all and you want to review, then, then that's another discussion in which I think we're about to have, Julia. But I think some people get into it too much and just you have to be careful about limiting that.
0: So let's say you want to get into reviewing papers, but nobody's asked you yet. Ah. What should you do?
1: Well, what you do is uh, there are two things to do. Uh, now, one caveat is that many, um, many journals have either official or unofficial policies that reviewers should be PhDs.
2: Um,
1: and this is because it's called peer review, and 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 you know because we have this crazy arbitrary academic system of advancement. They you know somehow having a PhD gives you some um, you know some credentials to to sort of review review a paper uh, for better or for worse. Uh, now this is usually not a hard and fast rule, and most journals that I know will, are quite happy to have a graduate student review a paper if their PI you know, reads it over and signs off on it or whatever, uh, which I think is really important anyway. Uh, So what I would do uh, if you – so let's do graduate student first. Well, anyway, your first review, right? How do you do your first review? So I think doing a mentored review of some sort is really good. That could be with your PI or it could be with another professor. Um, And what I usually do with people is I – um, we'll have them review the paper independently and I review it independently. And then we get together and talk about it, um, and kind of go through the points that we, that we made. And that can be really useful at sort of helping to gauge the right level of, of, you know, suggestion, uh, kind of thing.
2: Um,
1: so how do you do that? So find that more senior person who, you know, reviews papers in your field and say, Hey, I'd love to review a paper sometime. Can you, would you know, would would you consider suggesting me next time you're asked to review? Mm -hmm. Uh, Many senior people at research institutions are asked to review far more papers than they can take on. Mm -hmm. So I, so speaking for myself, I get lots of review requests. And um, these days I say no to most of them, especially since I'm doing editing, I just don't have time to do it. But I do try to um, give additional suggestions to the editor so I say, well, I can't do it, but why don't you, why don't you ask Julia or why don't you ask, you know, so-and-so? Um, and so it, it, if, it, if the field is right, if the topic is right, it, I'm very happy to say, you know, would you, you could consider so-and-so who's a graduate student, and I'd be happy to work with them on the review. Um, so it's still, I, I mean, I still have to put some time into it, but it's a little bit less time. Um, and I think it's an important thing to do. Mm-hmm. The other thing, so that's really the best way. I, I would, I would probably say that's the only way. Um the other thing just that people probably don't realize is in every every manuscript management system that I've ever worked with as an editor has been awful. Uh and and they many of them try to help editors find reviewers by using keywords and published papers and whatever. Um and they're just horrible. Uh and so I typically um, just look on Google Scholar if I don't know I, people off the top of my head, and then I try to search for published papers. But maybe you're a graduate student who's an expert in a thing, but you haven't published your paper, your first paper yet, so you'll never show up. Um, mm-hmm. So it is just it, it's kind of a lousy system, especially for discovering new reviewers. Mm-hmm. So if you have never reviewed for a journal, like you may or may not be in the database, but there, it's not a great database. <laughs> so so really, you want to get a personal mm-hmm. connection you know, with an editor or, or just a senior person who can recommend you.
0: All right. So, so far we have covered, uh, why do we review and how to get into it? If you haven't already, um, I think next up should be, well, we've talked a bit about like, how much do you review and how much is too much? Um, I, my, my general policy is I try to review two or three papers for every submission of my own that I'm, uh, every submission of my own you know and i kind of think about it like in a year time frame mm-hmm. um given that there are typically two to three peer reviewers for each paper that means if i am taking you know four to six people's time to review my stuff i want to um, you know i want to be like paying out that as well mm-hmm. um we got one one question um on twitter about why should anyone ever review a manuscript if you're not getting paid for it um and and is it problematic uh, to not do that, given that s- not everyone will remain in academia, and so won't receive the same return on their labor, um, and and so when I'm thinking about how much I should be reviewing and how much I'm like paying into the system and all of that, I do kind of think of it in like a year to year basis. So I'll be like, oh, you know what? I submitted a lot of stuff this year. I guess I better do more review this year. Um, and so I don't think of it as like my lifetime, uh, the lifetime amount of paying into the system. It's it's kind of year by year. And that way, if I were to leave academia, I would feel like hadn't paid in more than I should have, because I was just kind of, you know, paying into support what I had written so far.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, that's kind of my my view on it, too. I do think I mean, there is a whole other discussion probably about um, kind of publishing models and finances and stuff that mm-hmm. I think we're going to put off for another time. But um, mm-hmm. yeah. But I also think, you know, I mean, I, I like the, I do like the idea of um, I submitted a paper and therefore, you know, two or three people took their time to read it and, and therefore I should kind of pay the system back, um, that, you know, give or take that amount. Um, again, I just, you know, between us, I'm pretty comfortable with early career researchers in particular, kind of making a little IOU and, 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 and and so I wouldn't do more than that. And if you have to do less, I think that's fine. And if you're doing 24 a year, um, then, you know, as an early career researcher, then you should, you should do fewer, even if you're submitting 12 papers a year, which, right most of you probably aren't.
0: And, and also if you think about it, like for every paper that you submit, you know, if you have five authors on it, then all five of you can help to work to offset that debt. Um, yep. I don't typically think of it that way for myself because I mostly publish with my undergraduates and they're not doing their own reviews. So I'm feeling like I'm, you know, doing mm-hmm. all of the reviewing for the whole team. Right. Yeah. All right. So then, so now you get that little email that pops up in your inbox and says, Jonathan Peel has invited you to review said paper do you accept or decline? Um, and we've talked a little bit about, you know, what leads you to accept a, a particular paper, but I'll, I'll say a few more things. So when I'm deciding whether or not I'm going to accept a review request, I think about how much reviewing I have done lately and how much I like owe to the system. I think about the, um, the journal and how I feel about them and whether or not I want to give them volunteer my time with them. Um, and then I look at, does the paper look like it's interesting and up my alley? So, I do sometimes get review requests to review things that I'm just not qualified to review. Um, And then I will decline and say, it looks like this is based heavily on methodology X, which I have never heard of before uh, or something like that. Um, But if it looks like it is something that is up my alley and interesting and I have the time, that's when I try to accept. Mm -hmm. Are there other criteria that you use when you're making that decision? So
1: I, 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 I'm going to read you the criteria that I put in my blog post, which Ooh. I said I would I would link.
0: Well, somebody um, prepared. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, four years ago before I knew. Um, so <laughs> here, here are three ways that I've heard people use. Um, one is, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not recommending these. I'm just saying people do this. Um, so one is say yes to everything uh, because being invited is an honor and, and you should just do it. Uh, and it's going to help your CV and help your career. Uh, another Ugh. one, I know, I, of course, we know that's bad. Uh, uh, number two, um, and this is um, um, what you suggested. So keep the system in balance. So for every paper you submit, you know, try to review two or three. Um, and then another one is have some kind of annual limit. So you say, I- I'm only going to do X number of papers this year. And, and, and so... Um, And this is more of an issue for people who get invited too much, right? So then then you say, well, if I only can review eight papers this year, uh, I'm not going to take this one on, even though it seems fine because um, I I don't have time to do everything. And, and, you know, assuming I could review it, I I still need to say no.
2: Um,
1: Here's what happens for me is for just the, the the stars have aligned in the universe, and um, there'll be a period of time, like two or three or four or six weeks, where I don't have any review requests. And then I start to feel guilty. And then I get invited to review one, uh, to review a paper that's sort of like, you know, related to my research, I'm like qualified to review, but not one that I'm excited about. So it's the, the boring journal of why, and someone did a paper that, that is fine, but looks kind of boring. But I say, you know what, I should... I should pay back into the system and I'll say yes. Uh, And then as soon as I click yes to be a good citizen, then I get three requests. One is from uh, an editor that I know really well who's struggling to find reviewers and I feel like I want to help them out. Another one is from a journal that I'd really like to uh, help out and support, even though the topic is maybe not perfect. And the the other one is like, oh, this is right up my alley. I should really... I'm the perfect reviewer for this, you know, and and I really want to know what they're doing. So then I say yes to all of those. Um, And then I'm stuck with four reviews over the next two weeks, uh, which is too many. Mm -hmm. So I I guess I was, this is kind of going on to like, assuming all these requests are like kind of reasonable and things I could review. um, How do you decide when to say yes or no? And this is why when you get to this point, um, having some criteria for not taking on too many is important. Yep. If you're at the point where you're not getting any or you're not getting as many requests as you like, then I think it's it really it's important not to say yes to something just for the sake of doing it. You want to make sure that you um, are kind of qualified. But I guess the other the other part to that is when I first started reviewing papers, it took me forever um, because I wouldn't know the all the background. So I would get a paper on speech and language or aging or something that was ostensibly you know, something in my field. Um, but, I, you know, they would cite a paper that I didn't know. So I'd, have to, I'd go look up the paper and read it, right? And then, they'd say, oh, we're, such and such a theory is really important here. And I don't know that theory. So I'd go, I'd do a lot of background reading when I was mm-hmm. reviewing an article. Um, so I learned a lot doing that background reading. But it also meant that reviewing an article took like a day or two or whatever, right? It took, took forever. Uh, now I tend not to do that. Yeah. Um, because, and, and partly I, I know more of the literature and also partly, um, kind of the, as you said, I'm, I'm less focused on understanding every paper in the introduction and I'm more focused on the methods and the, you know, analyses and, and sort of technical, technical things, you know, to, to a degree, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so which is to say, sorry, the reason I, I put that in there is, um, if you're just starting off reviewing and you're sort of early in your career, it, I think it's totally reasonable to not know everything about a paper, and you shouldn't feel like um oh, so and so is this famous researcher and they did a paper on the topic that I study, but who am I to to provide an opinion? I mean, you can learn how to do it, and I think it's totally okay to be learning on the job a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else you do it
0: and it's and it's also okay um i I just wrote a review where I said something that was along the lines of like the paper is about this. I know a lot about this component, but I don't know as much about this component, so I'm going to limit my discussion to this thing that I know about. Just as a way of like really explicitly flagging to the editor that my silence about the other thing is not because I think it's perfect, it's because I hope you have another reviewer who knows something about that.
1: Right, which also I think is totally fine.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and I will say, I've gotten more comfortable saying that as I've gotten more advanced, right? So sure. like my first paper as a graduate student, I probably wouldn't have felt comfortable saying... You know, here's a thing in the paper that I don't understand, uh, which I think is understandable. But, but I, as an editor, I don't care. I'd rather have you tell me, yeah. um, and it's and that's totally that's totally fine. Yeah. So it's okay to practice that.
0: Yeah. Um, one other note about uh, when you're getting review requests, um, it is really good practice to make a decision about whether or not you're going to review that paper as quickly as possible. And if you're not going to, uh, to recommend others who can potentially review it that, that, um, I guess I I have a few things to say about like the speed of the review process. One of the things that I continually get a kick out of is seeing on Twitter academics, both complaining about how long peer review takes and like making jokes about how behind they are on Uh all of the things that they're supposed to review. Uh Um, and, and I know that everybody knows that those things are related. Um, but, but it's a real frustration of mine that, Peer review can take exactly as long as we collectively decide that it that it should. Mm-hmm. Um and so if I agree to peer review a paper, um, I you know, look at what the time frame is, look at my calendar, make sure I'm actually gonna have time to do it in that time frame. And if I don't, if I'm if I'm not confident that I have time to do it by the deadline, I don't do it. Um and I would I would really encourage other people to do this um because science in part moves slowly because we drag our feet on peer review um and and i i i know everybody's busy and we have all of this pressure to review and there's all of these reasons that people are making review requests um and maybe i mean i'd be interested to hear your opinion as an editor but wouldn't you rather just find somebody else if the person if the person who has agreed like can't do it in a timely manner
1: Yes and no, uh, and so uh, and so for whatever reason, um, there are papers where it will take me twenty or twenty five requests to get two reviewers to say yes. Oh my gosh!
2: Um,
1: and that is really horrible because I don't want, I don't invite twenty five people on day one. I might be exaggerating a little bit, but not much. Uh, So I don't invite 20 people on day one. I might, because then if they all say yes, I waste people's time and I have to go back and tell people we don't need your review. So, you know, I'll invite like two or three. uh, And then if, if, when one says no, I invite another one. When that one says no, I invite another one. Um, And so uh, anyway, so, so there are definitely cases where if it's just going to take you a little bit longer, like an extra week. Uh, please say yes, because it will take me way more than a week to to find 20 other people to ask. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But um, but obviously, if in, in a perfect world, I would much rather just have you tell me you don't have time and I can move on and, and we just get through stuff faster. So uh, your advice is spot on. Um, and as an editor, I usually try to like, uh, if I'm really struggling with a paper, I will usually include something like, You know, if if you can do it, but you need a little extra time, that's fine. You know, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And the other funny thing about this, um, it always cracks me up too. like the the, the variation in how long journals give you to review a paper, which is Mm -hmm. like one week on the short end to like six months on the long end. Um, And pretty much everyone I know uh, um, does reviews like the day or two before they're due. So there's no point in giving someone a two or three month deadline because they're going to do it yeah. the day before. I mean, yeah. give everyone a two week deadline all the time. And then when they're late, yeah. at least it's three weeks instead of six months.
0: And frankly, we're all better calibrated about what our what the next two weeks of our lives look like than the next six months. Right. So well, sometimes someone is like, hey, mm-hmm. you want to do this thing for me in six months? I'll be like, oh, yeah, in six months. Who even knows what's going to be happening then? Whereas if they said you want to do it next week, I'd be like, oh, no, no, no. next week well, so, well, that's
1: the trick, isn't it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> sort of like. Yeah.
0: Get yep okay so you have now uh the review request has made its way into your inbox you have weighed all of these things and decided to, to hit accept the time has come when you have set aside time well before the deadline in this hypothetical um you open the pdf and what's your process
1: so i will um it's ch- it's actually changed a little bit but, but general generally uh and, and let's pretend that I have I have lots of time. Um, I'll read through just read through the paper once without making comments, and this is especially early on, right? So um, I read through the paper once as a as a thing without making comments. Um, kind of th- uh, think about it, you know, sit on it for for a period of time, like overnight, uh, and then go th- and then go back to it and go and, and go through. And I usually do go through from beginning to end and I make comments as I go. Um, I have a little, you know, review template uh, and I try to divide up my comments between major comments and minor comments. Minor comments are like, I think you, I think there's a typo here. I mean, I, you know, and major comments are like really conceptual things that are sort of more like I would, I would reject the paper if this doesn't get fixed. Mm -hmm. Um, I will just, just as a quick note, I, some people really um, under minor comments, they they copy edit everything, right? They're like on line 203, I would put a semicolon there instead of a comma. Um, And I do not, I I would not do that when you're reviewing a paper because um, it's just super annoying as an author to get those comments and. And it's not your. I don't think it's your job to fix punctuation or or to make very nuanced word choice suggestions. I will make word choice suggestions if I think it's misleading or or like oh everyone talks about um, this construct in a certain way and you're using a different term, but you yeah, might yep. you might consider clarifying it. But I mean, you know, it, it's it's not your paper; it's the author's paper. And so, and, and frankly, to 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 a certain degree, if you don't like their writing style, that's fine. Like maybe maybe they don't have a great writing style, but. Anyway, it's not your job to to fix that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then, I, in a perfect world, having gone through it and made all of those comments, I'll try to go through it again to try to get another big big picture sense of it and kind of calibrate. Like, okay, I don't want to have like twenty major comments. I'm like, okay, I try to narrow it down to really what are the critical things that um, that need to be changed. A- and then the other thing that I try to do is I try to be you know constructive in tone. Um, and in content and so a, a, instead of saying the in, you know in the introduction the theoretical framing was weak major major problem and <laughs> there um well it, that might very well be true but it doesn't give the author any idea what i was thinking so then i i again especially for the major comments i'll say for example you know one one option would be to talk about x y and z here's a citation another possibility might be to do this other thing here's a citation but you know but as it stands now you know, here here are the things that I, I thought were missing. So just mm-hmm. to try to provide more context and support, and and not yep. be critical. Um,
0: another another place I do that a ton is um, with with statistics. So if someone like does an analysis in a way that I think is inappropriate or something like that, rather than just being like, oh, you should really be using linear mixed effects models here instead of ANOVAs, I will say that, and then I will explain. Here is why these are better in this case, and here four papers you can read that will give you some guidance about how to actually implement those with those, with this research.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yeah, pointing people towards that is really helpful. I mean, um, now I've been on the receiving end of, um, of reviews uh, with, where there have been very detailed suggestions I disagree with. And that's mm-hmm. maybe we can have another follow-up episode on how do you respond to review, review comments. But anyway, as mm-hmm. a, as a reviewer um, you know, I do try to provide, you know, those details, to be helpful, Yep. Yep. What is it, what's your process?
0: Yeah, it's very similar. Um, review papers that I'm reviewing are the only papers that I print anymore. I do all of my mm-hmm. other reading like digitally, but um, but I but I actually print reviews, and you know, the first time through, just yeah, like make notes in the margins, circle things, highlight, and then do it again more closely um, while I'm writing. Um, and the way that I structure my documents is also very similar, um, splitting up the major and the minor stuff. Um, yeah, so I think it sounds like a, sounds like a really similar process.
1: I mean, one thing that I, um, so this is like a general productivity tip or whatever, but, um, I, you know, I, it's really helpful to have a template for these things. Mm. Uh, so I, and I, for lots of things I use text expander, there are other ones. Um, and I think there are even some built-in Mac things, but, but this is the kind of thing where you can have, um, you know, write your review, Uh, well, so the things that I have on there are, um, like, you know, headings for major and minor comments, some, um, optional references that I often include in reviews about statistics and, and a couple of sentences about open science practices. So I don't have to keep reminding, you know, it helps me remember what to comment on and I don't have to keep reinventing the wheel.
0: Um,
1: yeah, that's been super helpful and also for other, other stuff. Uh, so I'll put a link to Text Expander in the notes. Um, the other thing that I, you know, again, take or, take or leave, but um, there's an article, um, 12 Tips for Reviewers by uh, Henry Rodiger, or Roddy. Uh, and uh, he has, you know, several tips of, of his, his perspective of this, having been uh, in academia for a long time. Uh, and I would say most of them are good um just to i'll just pick a few a few out i won't read them all um but i'll put the link in uh you know know your mission be speedy read carefully say positive things in your review don't exhibit hostility or mean-spiritedness
0: let me say something about this too okay uh Uh, putting unless the paper is really terrible and dismal we can all find a few nice things to say Mm -hmm. about each one and you know when i get a review back i will often like yellow highlight the nice things that they said and it makes me feel so happy in my heart and i Mm -hmm. try to remember that happiness and when i'm writing my own review think of the things that are good and you know Mm -hmm. writing is a way of bearing your soul and i just Mm -hmm. i just want to put a little plug in for that we can all find nice things to say to each other and the purpose of peer review is not just to slash and burn everything that's wrong but also to give some nice positive reinforcement for the things that are right
1: yes so uh kind of relatedly my um, tone in my reviews has changed a little bit over the years. Um, mm-hmm. I used to be more formal, and I would really write to the editor. Um, so, so the other thing when I structure my review, I start off with with a paragraph summary. Uh, mm-hmm. In in this paper, um, Strand and colleagues w- set out to investigate X. They they ran an experiment where they did brilliant certain things. Brilliant experiment, you mean? Yeah. A brilliant experiment where they did these mm-hmm. amazing things, and then they concluded. Blah blah blah. Uh, you know, overall, this is a really nice demonstration of the thing, and and you know, I only have a few small comments. Whatever. Um, this is really useful for two reasons, uh, by the way. One is uh, as an editor. It, I mean, I uh, anyway. I it reminds me what the paper is about and gives me a summary of what you got from it. Wow. Um, and as an author, when I get those summaries, if they're right. I feel good. I'm like, yes, the reviewer got it. And sometimes they're wrong. They're like, oh, the reviewers, the authors tried to do a th- this thing. And I think, oh, no, we didn't. They really misread it. Uh, and so sometimes I will then, you know, oh, the reviewer is an idiot and they didn't get it. But, but, you know, I probably didn't write it clearly enough. So it's really helpful to kind of gauge what they got from it. So I, I, I start with that paragraph. And for me, I kind of address that to the editor um, internally. But then I, I've taken to addressing my comments more to the to writing in the first person to the reviewer, to, to the, sorry, to the authors. Mm-hmm. So, I'll, you know, I'll say, Oh, I really liked what you did here. Have you considered mm-hmm. doing blah? And, 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 and I like that because it makes it feel like more of a discussion about the paper, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to, uh, this very formal third person and, and, you know, these statistics were inappropriate. The authors mm-hmm. should consider blah. You know, mm-hmm. I, I,
0: I just like it more conversational. I yeah, I I do the same thing. I also write them um, like in the second person like to the to the authors instead of to the editor. And I have found that there are things that I, I probably would say in the third person that I would never say in the second person, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. the the author's attempt to blah 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 but, but fail to adequately. But I would like never say you tried to blah 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 but failed. I would I would be like I see what you're trying to do here, but here's right. what I think. And so mm-hmm. yeah, I think a, that the writing in the second person is like a really simple way of making sure you're phrasing things in a way that is, that is nice and it can be equally like, you know, you can make the exact same points, but just is mm-hmm. a way that is not mean.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Um, so that just touches on, uh, it kind of touches on whether we sign our reviews,
2: mm. uh,
1: which is also probably, that could almost be a whole other, other topic. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, but, but anyway, so what are your thoughts on, on signing reviews?
0: Yeah. So I, um, so, so, uh, I guess just quickly, I think we, we probably could talk for like an hour about this, but just, uh-huh. just quickly. Um, I think one of the, 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 so the, the reasons that people talk about, um, uh, not signing reviews is that people are concerned about, uh, there's like fear of retaliation, right? If I write a negative review for you and I put my name on it, next time you get something from me, you're going to write a negative thing or not recommend me for tenure or not give me a grant or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, People also say uh, uh, another concern about signing is that there may be concerns about reciprocity or implied reciprocity. Like Mm -hmm. if I give you a really great review, uh, you better do something nice for me. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that people are worried that it is it could be seen as um, as making some kind of social contract about I accepted one in the years. Now it's your turn. Um, I I also read an interesting article, um, and we can link to this in the show notes too, by Kristen Nagel, who's also at WashU, um, who who says that uh in her experience of signing reviews versus not, um, she was concerned that people took her comments less seriously because she is a woman in a male-dominated field. Hmm. Um, and I and I think, I mean, I don't have data on this, but I can certainly see why if you were a graduate student. Or a woman, or a historically excluded minority, or you know someone who didn't have the same kind of power as a big name or a white male—that mm-hmm. you, you know, there there may be concern that you would be more harshly judged for making those comments, um, and that your concerns might be taken less seriously than mm-hmm. if you were if you were a big shot.
1: Which, which, on balance, I think is true. I, mm-hmm. I don't yep. think it should be true. It should be the content of what you say. But I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure yep. a negative review from a graduate student would be taken less seriously than a negative review from an eminent person right. in the field.
0: Yep. Yeah. Are there other, are there other reasons that people give to not sign or like concerns about signing?
1: Those are, those are the ones that I've heard. Yeah. Okay. And
0: then, and then the benefits of course are that you might do a better job if you have to sign your name on it because you know, it's going to be attributed to you, right? We may behave differently anonymously than, than we would in public. Um, it, it can also be helpful uh, if you sign um, that the author could potentially ask you follow up questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have been in a situation where the reviewer was kind enough to sign their name and it meant that we ended up rerunning an experiment and I reached out to the editor to ask for her permission to reach out to the author um, who had signed and he was wonderful and kind and had a phone call with me and you know we talked about some of the things that I was going to improve um the follow up study mm-hmm. and it made it much better and it was great that I you know that I knew who he was mm-hmm. so that can yep. be that can be really helpful too um another benefit is just that like um you you, you sign your work right like mm-hmm. if if at all possible uh, don't hide behind a veil of secrecy and be transparent. And, you know, um, we, we put our names on the things that we do. So those are some of the other reasons that people would give to sign. Are there other mm-hmm. reasons to sign? Oh,
1: I, I think another one is, i sort of thinking about getting credit for, for peer review. Oh, sure.
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and so, you know, we talked, I, I, I was, I made a big point earlier on that I worry that it doesn't actually help your career, but partly that's because no one knows how much you do and there's no, yeah way of, you know, quantifying it. Um, I I do want to mention, so Publons, which Mm -hmm. may have gotten acquired by someone, they used to be a startup. Now they're part of Web of Science or whatever. But anyway, Publons will track your reviews for you. um, And it can keep them anonymous or make them public, but it will kind of, you can see how many you've done and and so on. And I actually think that's kind of a, I liked it for my own, for myself. I don't sort of like Brag about my Publons profile, but I just—that's how I knew I did 31 year. Instead of counting all the text files in my, you know, (laughs) in my folder, I just kind of looked on there, and and there were it told me how many I did. So that was Mm -hmm. kind of useful. But that's you know, there are people who think that if we um, kind of normalize that, just like you get credit for publications, and just like you get credit for giving talks, you should get credit for your reviews, Mm -hmm. Um, which I kind of like. I also like. Um, this also touches on should reviews be public and published with the paper, which is sort of independent because you could publish it an anonymous review or assigned review, but it kind of gets at that, um, um, uh, removing the, the, the veil of secrecy from the mm-hmm. peer review process and sort of making, you know, making the discussion more open, mm-hmm. um, which I like. I do. Yeah. I, I mean, I worry about, I, I think my, my biggest concern is that there are, there are already kind of like structural or career imbalances in power. And it's easier for some people to sign than others. Yep. And so on the one hand, I like signing reviews because it it's, if we all did it, we all we were in a universe in a magic universe where um, we could all do it without any problem Then I, I like that approach a lot. Um, but I feel like we don't live in that universe. And I, so then I worry that by promoting that it's sort of, uh, reinforcing some of these biases that already exist, like mm-hmm. with career stage or underrepresented minorities or or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so I I actually personally would be pretty comfortable signing my reviews, but I don't because I feel like not everyone can do it, and I then worry about about participating in something that I have a privilege to do that not everyone does.
0: Yep, yeah, and I find that to be a I find that to be a, a pretty compelling argument. Um, although we're nowhere near this point because most people don't sign their reviews. Um, the other concern is that if most people do start signing, then if you get an unsigned review, you can guarantee that it's, I mean, you know, right. you can guess that it's a graduate student or right. someone whose opinion you have to take less seriously or something like that.
1: Well, and I also think earlier in my career, I would have, uh, I mean, what I think I was always pretty constructive. Maybe I would have been nicer if I signed my reviews, but I would not have felt, um, I, I'm thinking of one uh, one paper in particular that I was a relatively junior person reviewing a senior person's paper and I had strong feelings about it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I just thought of a second one and I don't think I would have, um I don't think I would have felt as comfortable making what I think was a very valid scientific point if I was signing my review because, because that person can impact my career. So I, I think the anonymity is actually, I mean, it's, you know, there are problems, but it's also kind of a, a, a feature.
0: Mm-hmm. It's complicated, yeah. It's, it is. Yeah. No, it is.
1: I mean, there, there. You know, anyway, mm. there's conflicting, conflicting um, um, incentives. I think. Mm-hmm. You know.
2: Yeah.
1: Anyway, so so you you dear listener should make up your own mind. I, I, I guess the one thing I would say is I. I tend to think one should sign all of one's reviews or none of one's reviews and not selectively sign ones that we feel more comfortable with.
0: Just sign the nice ones. <laughs> sign the nice
1: ones where you, you know, uh, and so I think, uh, you know, I think there are arguments on both sides and, and, you know, follow your conscience, but but just try to be consistent. I mean, you can yeah. change over the course of your career, but just yep. don't change every every two weeks,
0: yep. you know. One of the other notes we got from Twitter um, was to asking us to comment on reviewing revisions, because that's something that's usually missed in discussions about reviewing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times you will review a paper once, the authors will make the changes, the editor will send the paper back to you after that, and you'll be asked to re-review it again or again and again. Um, and uh, so so I when I am reviewing a paper for the first time, just before I like send off the review, I kind of try to do like a little mental... Checklist for myself: of if they do all of these things that I ask, will I then be satisfied with this paper? Because um, I think it's really important that you include all of your major grievances in the first review. Because then, if they do all those things and send it back, you don't want to give them another laundry list of things to do over again. Um, and so, I think that's a that can be a useful technique when you're when you're writing your review to be like, if they do all this, will that make you happy? And of course, you can you can um, make additional suggestions. Um, on the re-review, especially if they like broke something while they were fixing other things, it's perfectly reasonable to like ask for more on the next round, but I don't do the thing where I say, well, there's eight things that need fixing about this paper, but I'll only tell about five right now because I know that it's going to get back through another round of revision.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, um, one, so I, I definitely agree with that. I should also say, I mean, there's not a requirement to review a revision, but there's kind of like a little bit of an expectation that if you review it the first time you should review the revision. Um, and, and I, as an author and an editor, it's very frustrating when reviewers don't review the revision because new reviewers, you know, bring a new perspective and it's very hard to then, you know, adequately judge what the authors have changed and, and so on. So if you accept a review request, do try to review the revision. Yep. Um, and I, yes, it, it's it's a little bit unfair to then bring up things that you could have brought up the first time that you didn't. So I think, yeah, keep that in, in mind. One challenge is, um, let's say it's a very weak paper, uh, which I, I, none of our listeners would submit those, but some people do. Uh, uh, you get a weak paper and you think, well, if, if try, uh, you know, I, this is unacceptable for these reasons, um, but maybe if you tried this other analysis, that would be better right? Or, or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, and then they go, they go do that and they do what you suggested, or they try something else and they come back and, and it still isn't any better. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or for example, I've had papers where the methods are just woefully under described. Um, and so you, so you can say, oh, you need to describe the methods more, in, you know, for example, X, Y, and Z, and they come back with X, Y, and Z, but like the big picture is still, they're just not enough detail. Um, so then, then you sort of have to say, well, you, you know, it's better, but it's, it's still not good enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think on the one hand, again, you know, you have to pick your own battles and and for, and I think Julia, you and I tend to be more on the like methods and analysis being, you know, being, being good um, part of things. And so if that still isn't good, then, you know, you don't want to just accept it because they tried or because they revised it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it can be a short review and you can say, well, look, you, you adjust all these other things, but not this really important thing. Here's why that's fine. Yeah. Um, yep. anyway, so yeah, so I, I but yes, you don't want to have a whole bunch of new things. And in fact, as an editor, if you review the revision and everything's fine, I'm very happy with a one sentence review that says all of my concerns were addressed. Great. That's that's fine. I mean, I want you to actually check, you know, and not just make it up. But um, yes, if, it, if it's good, you don't need, you're not a bad person for having a short review. Right. Yep. And the other thing is I don't think I have ever had a paper accepted without one revision. And I don't know if I've even ever seen that as an editor, but I know that it happens. If you get a paper that is really good or fine or publishable, you can just say that. Not everything has to go be revised a million times. I mean, you kind of feel like it's a, you know, it's your job as a reviewer to find something to make better. But you know what? If the paper is a good paper, that's fine too. Yep.
0: Well, on behalf of the juice and the squeeze, I am happy to accept this podcast for publication <laughs> on our website
1: excellent do we uh, how many do we have no revisions then is that what you're saying <laughs> except except as For the is
0: the first time in the history yeah. of the world i accept Hooray. with no revisions <laughs>
1: awesome all right thanks everybody keep your questions coming uh we love hearing from you on twitter and through the website and by email
0: we'll talk to you next time
1: all right bye, bye.